been God's great goodness to us to give us his word which we've had read to us. And so now we come uh, to the preaching of God's word as well. And yet, if I'm to be faithful to the topic that I'm covering today, I would have to say that the main event has already occurred. And that is that God's word has been read. And now I'm simply here uh, under that word to explain it and to press it home upon you. As we've been going through this series that I've been doing over several months now, looking at public worship, the nature of it, and the principles behind it, today we come, we, last week we looked at public prayer, and today we come to public reading of God's word. Now, being very zeroed in today, I'm not talking about the preaching of God's word. We'll look at that, God willing, next week. But today, I simply want to talk about the public reading of God's word. Because I think that this is often something which we overlook and we skim over and we do not stop to consider the importance of this in the public worship of God. It's striking, if you look throughout the Old and New Testaments, there are wonderful sermons throughout Old and New Testaments. Think of that great sermon, for example, that Peter gave after Pentecost, or Paul gave at the Areopagus in Athens, or Moses gave before the entire people of Israel, and that's what we call the book of Deuteronomy. But it's striking about all of those sermons is that they're not actually ordinary worship services. And in fact, when we find accounts of ordinary gatherings of worship, it's striking that actually the reading takes first place. Yes, there is preaching, but it's the reading that is at the very heart of what occurs. And I think that we see that in the two services that we read about in our readings today. When Ezra gathered the, uh, the, tribe of, uh, the, the tribes of Israel together as they restored Jerusalem after the captivity. And then also Jesus, Jesus himself, the living word. What's the great act that he does? He reads the word in the synagogue in Capernaum. I think we need to see here just how important this is. It really was brought home to me just in the months leading up to when I got married to Jen. We got married in a a lovely Anglican parish church that my in-laws were attending in Devon in England. The vicar there was a very kind man, very loving to us. He was the one who married us. He wasn't the world's greatest preacher, But that was okay, because when we sat down in the services in that church, what really astonished me was just the wealth of scripture that was read out and part of the service. Now, that does not mean that they didn't need to work on the preaching. That's really important. But we had at least three three whole passages from scripture read out and other bits of scripture all the way through the service. And it was well read, And it was to the point, and it brought us into the presence of God. The reading of God's word is so crucial. I love my history, and if I was to um, 
if you could indulge me a bit about that for a moment, if you go back right back to the 4th century AD, the church has been around for a couple of centuries, and you would have heard, of course, of the great Augustine, one of the greatest minds in Christian history, in all of world history, actually. And when he was searching and inquiring about the Christian faith, he would go to the church in Milan where the great Bishop Ambrose was the bishop. And you, he mentions that if you were in the church of Ambrose for a year, you would hear the entire scriptures read in all the services over a year. Imagine that. All the scriptures, both old and new, read out in the worship service. Now, I'm not saying we are about to institute that policy here at South Yarra for the next 12 months. But nevertheless, the scriptures were taken seriously, weren't they? Now, you might argue, you might say, well, back then in the 4th century, no one had a pocket Bible to read on their own. And that's true, they didn't. Only a select few would have had even copies of the scriptures, let alone the whole Bible, of even sections of scripture, let alone the whole Bible. But I don't think that is the full point. It's not just that that was how they had access. It was when they gathered together and when they were worshipping God together that the scriptures were read out. And that's a, that's a weighty thing and that's an important thing. And we need to recover a respect for that and a reverence for that. So often, Scripture is abbreviated, isn't it, in our services? So often, it is merely the launch pad for the sermon. But we need to see that the reading of Scripture is an act of worship itself. And if there is any authority to what I am saying today, it is because it is founded on God's Word. And so surely an even greater authority is to have that pure, simple and clear word read out. God is speaking to us. And God is loving us by ensuring that his word is read amongst us. That we may drink from it. And we might be discipled by it. And live by it together as God's people. <clears throat> So I want us today then to examine these two readings of scripture that we had read out to us this morning. First from Nehemiah chapter 8 and then from Luke 4. And then we'll look at a couple of other isolated bits of scripture as well. But if you've got your Bibles there, if you'd like to turn back to Nehemiah 8 and this remarkable event as the whole people are gathered together and the the great scribe, the great teacher of the law, Ezra, reads out the law to the whole people. <coughs> now, you have to understand that there is a history behind this. This is not the first time that God's word was read out to all the people in such, on such an important occasion. If you go right back into Exodus, chapter 24... Where God, just after Moses had received the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law as well, 
he then proceeds to read it to the people or to speak it to the people before they say, we will keep it. In Exodus 24, verse 3, Moses, with the word of God still fresh in his mind, he delivers it to the people and they agree to it. They assent to it and then it is written down for them. Then, as Joshua is leading the people of Israel into the promised land, in Joshua 8, once again he assembles them after the conquest of the town of Ai. He assembles the people and he reads the law again to them. But of course, the people's faithfulness to the word of God ebbed and sort of waxed and waned, didn't it? It ebbed and flowed all through history. And then we come to the the dark times later in the history of the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel where basically the knowledge, the true knowledge of God's word was almost banished from the land. Then we have that remarkable event, don't we, where godly young King Josiah recovers the word of God. It's been left ignored and it's discovered and he causes it once again to be read before the people. And so we see it here again. After the exile is over, the people are back in Jerusalem and Ezra reads. Why does he do so? Well, it's not just because this is wise and true and good. Yes, the word of God is all of those things. It is wise and true and good. It is helpful for us. It nourishes us. But that's not the only reason why Ezra is reading the word here. He knows that he is commanded to do so. Because God is their covenant Lord. So covenant stands behind the reading of this word. Right back in Deuteronomy 31, God tells Moses that the whole people, women and men and children, And that's striking in itself. When you think about how ancient religion was all for the elite, it was all about secret knowledge and only the priests would know. But no, the Lord God of Israel wants everyone, young and old, men and women, all to hear the word because they are to live by it, because he is their God and they are his people. You can look up those verses later. Strikingly, in Deuteronomy 17... The king himself is to read this word and to copy it out word for word so that he knows it properly. Isn't that striking? Once again, the people of Israel lived in a world filled with God kings where the kings themselves were divine and where no one could oppose them and no one could argue against them because they spoke as gods on earth. But what do we have here? The king of Israel is under the word. He submits to the word. He reads the word. He writes out the word. There is authority above every king and president and government in the world. And the word of God expresses his will. And so, when we read the word together as God's people, we are joining with the people in Ezra's day in saying... You are our God and we are your people. We are not just reading the word because it's useful. 
we are reading the word because it comes from our Lord. And we're bound to him. And he is bound to us by his own gracious promise. You know, it's interesting, in Islam, they talk about Christianity and Judaism as being the peoples of the book, don't they? Now, there's plenty that Islam gets wrong, but there's a kernel of truth in that, isn't there? We are people of a book. We're not people simply of our own ideas. Yes, we are called upon by God to use our minds to reason and to imagine and to work things out. Yes, God has called us to do all of those things, but first and foremost, he has come to us. And he has embraced us with his salvation. And that means that he's written it all down for us. God does not just act for us. He speaks to us. And that's part of his salvation. God is not like one of those very loving but gruff fathers that many of us have had. Who really did love us but never let on about it. That is not the sort of God that we have. He saves, he restores, he sustains, and all the time he speaks to us. And he requires us to remember what he says. And so when the people of Israel gather again after the captivity, the word is read. And it it is an act of faithfulness to our covenant God to hear God's word read to us. To hear God's word read to us is to be embraced by our loving God and to know his mercies for us. We are a covenant people under our covenant Lord. But notice here something else as well in this occasion here in Nehemiah. It's an act of worship, isn't it? Notice what happens in verses 5 onwards when Ezra opens the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. as like a pulpit platform, if you like. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Isn't that interesting? Even in their posture, they're showing that this is serious. All the people stood up and Ezra praised the Lord. He doesn't just open the book like it's a collection of poems or some other inspirational reading. No, this is the book of the Lord. And so he praises God before he opens the book. He praises the great God. And what do the people do? They all raise their hands and say, Amen, Amen. Are they worshipping the book though? Is this some sort of sacred object that we should have in a shrine? No. But they treat this book seriously because of the God who has given it. And it is that God that they worship. So they worship the true and living God as the speaking God. And that's what we do too, isn't it? That's why it is not just some fussy little tradition that those who read God's word publicly say, Amen, at the end of it. Or, this is the word of the Lord. In some churches, the people then respond, don't they? Thanks be to our God. Or as my minister used to say, and I find myself saying all the time, Amen, and may the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. These are not just empty little traditions. The word of God himself is being read to us 
that is God himself communicating with us. It's an act of worship and we respond with praise and reverent listening and knowing that if this is God's word, we need his blessing with it because it's a spiritual thing. We need God's blessing with it. Now you'll notice there, there's a fair bit in this passage as well about preaching, isn't there? Ezra and the other scribes, they explain the Bible as it's being read, but we'll talk about that another time. But you notice here, even though there's a lot of explaining going on, what is first and foremost? The word itself being read. And what happens as a result of that? Well, we see there that they, this was done just before the great festival of booths. And that whole time of festival then becomes a response to the word read. And as we go on in Nehemiah chapter 9, you'll notice as you read on there, you'll see that the people also responded in sorrow because of their sins. See, this shows us that the reading of the word of God is not just an empty gesture, just a a launch pad for something else. It provokes a response of thanksgiving and rejoicing at God's mercy and also of repentance and sorrow over sin as the word of God shows us what we're really like by nature outside of God's grace. This is the word of God being read. So we can see there, there's all sorts of fundamental attitudes to the reading of God's word laid for us there, even in the Old Testament. And they're largely, they're things that carry on in the new This carries on. And that brings us really to our second reading in Luke 4. Because where does Jesus himself delight to be on the Sabbath day? He delights to be in the synagogue. That's his custom, it says, in Luke 4. As was his custom. That's what he usually did. You want to find him on the Sabbath day? You'll find him in the synagogue. Nowhere else. And what does he do there? He reads the word. See, these synagogues, they didn't always exist in the history of Israel, but they flow probably almost directly from this event in Nehemiah 8. The word being read, the word being explained. And the people of Israel, through various empires and all the ebbs and flows of history, they kept that going. The word was read and the word was explained. Week in and week out. In fact, most synagogues had a careful practice of always reading the word, the law of God consecutively. They'd read a certain portion one Sabbath and then they'd take up directly from there the next because all the word, like a, a, like a golden thread through their lives, needed to be read constantly, repetitively, consecutively to be chewed on to be meditated on, to be thought about and to percolate down into their lives. And so Jesus stands up and he reads the word. And we see that there in Luke 4. But there's some striking things that are some wonderful realities we see in this passage too, don't they? Which still are true of us today as we have God's word read out. Because what do we have there? We have... Jesus stands up to read. 
And he reads from the prophet Isaiah. He reads there, the section from Isaiah we have there is largely from Isaiah 58 with one or two bits from 61 as well. And notice there, what an amazing reading of God's word is this. Imagine being there. There's the word, and here's the living word. Come to read this word, and look at what he reads. Look at this section of Isaiah that he reads. Who does it speak of? It speaks of two. It speaks of the servant who is to come, and who is acting upon that servant? The spirit. That's what he says there, doesn't he? The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. What an amazing event. There is Jesus. Isaiah was writing of the servant to come. And now the servant to come is able to read this and the me is him. What an incredible reading. We talk so much about pronouns these days. This is the real pronoun we should be talking about, isn't it? This Jesus, he says, he has a, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, he says. No wonder everyone's eyes were fixed on him. There's a sense in which they could started to work it out, hadn't they? This one The Spirit has anointed him, and he can say, it has anointed me. (coughs) He's reading it as it is applying to him. (coughs) It's as though, however many times Isaiah had been read out in the history of the people of Israel, probably countless times, hundreds of times, Isaiah had been read out throughout the Jewish world for centuries and centuries. But it is as though... All that Isaiah was thinking of as he was writing that, all of God's purposes were was so that it would be read out this one time in this synagogue in Capernaum by Jesus himself as he talks about the Spirit being upon him. That's the wonder of this reading of God's word. But brothers and sisters, I want you to see today that all that was true of this marvellous reading in Capernaum is true for you now as you gather and you hear God's word read. Because where is this servant? He's no longer the suffering servant. He bears, he's taken his suffering with him into glory that he's now the exalted king. And he's not just been anointed with the spirit to do his dreadful work of redemption, He's been filled with the Spirit to fill you with the Spirit too. And by that same Spirit, he takes the word read, Sunday in and Sunday out, all 52 Sundays of the year and any other time that we gather, he's taking that word and by his Spirit, he's declaring it as the living word. We have to see that, don't we? Here we have Spirit, Jesus, Word, all together in a couple of verses and that's true for you today. Christ is risen. 
We've been saying this on the other sermons on worship, haven't we? We're not just gathering together in this building. We are in heavenly places. Hebrews tells us that. So when the word is read, it's Christ who gives it. And he impresses it on us by his spirit. And that's why we are to find Christ in all the Bible. Christ is at work back there in Nehemiah 8 as well. As the people are convicted and as the people rejoice. That's the spirit of Christ at work. Christ is the rock in the wilderness, Paul says. Christ is the manna from the heavens in the wilderness. Christ is the one that divides the Red Sea for the people to go through. Christ is the great saving name of God's people. And so we receive God's word from Christ. And when we have it read to us, it is the living word of Jesus to us. And what does he then say afterwards about this word? It's an amazing thing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, he says. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Jesus could have said, today this scripture is just fulfilled. Or he could say, today the scripture is filled before your eyes. But what does he say? It is fulfilled in your hearing. This is a word that is read, and that's how you know it's to be true. It's heard. And how will you hear? Will you just hear outwardly? Or will you hear by faith? Because we see here, don't we, as what follows, that the reading of the word by Christ himself brings division. His own hometown wanted to throw him off the cliff by the time he'd finished speaking. They were not hearing with faith. And for them, there is then no saviour if they will not hear by faith. And that is the same for us too. When we're thinking of Christ's word being read, not just when it's preached, but when it is read to you, it is a call for you to put your faith in the living word that has given it to you. The one who has given you that word on the foundation of his death on the cross for you and on his rising again from the dead for you and he's sitting, sitting at the right hand of the Father for you. It is that Lord and that Saviour who is requiring you to respond in faith to the reading of God's word. And we can see that too in what the apostles say about the reading of God's word as well. Look there what it says, that first text we have there from Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. He knew that the reading of God was a serious business. He's talking about his fellow Jews who he yearned for. He loved them. He wanted them to join with him in putting their faith in Christ as a fellow Jew with them. But notice what he says there, until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. 
because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. He's thinking there, once again, week in, week out, in the synagogues, as the word of God is read, how will we respond? There are spiritual realities at work here. The living God is speaking to us and he wants us to see that this word speaks of his son, the Lord Jesus. And he is at the center of it. And it is not a true word unless it comes from his hand. And not to see that, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. Not to see that is to still have a cover over your eyes, to have scales over your eyes, to be blindfolded, to be blinkered, and not to see the spiritual depths of what is happening here as God's word is read. That's why if reading God's word is as serious as all of this, It's no wonder then that when Paul is instructing Timothy as a pastor coming after him, you'll see there that next quotation from 1 Timothy 4. What does he tell him to do? He says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of of the eldership. Now, we can read that a little bit quickly sometimes, can't we? And we can read it with 21st century assumptions. You know, we've all got our books everywhere. Maybe it's to do about his personal study or something like that when it says, give attention to reading. But actually, that's not what Paul means. The word in the Greek is deliberately referring to the public reading of the Bible, to the public reading of God's word as people are gathered together. So that could almost be a better way of translating it. Give attention to the public reading of Scripture. And notice there, Paul says, Timothy, you've been set apart to be a pastor of God's people. What's the first thing I want you to do? Read the Scriptures to them. Then exhort them and then teach them doctrine. And this, he says, flows from the gift given to you when you were ordained by the other elders. That's how seriously Paul takes the reading of God's word. He's talking to a young man about to embark early or very early on in his life of ministry and he says, no matter what else you do, the first thing you must do is read the word and make sure the people hear it and make sure the people revere it and listen to it. Oh, we see here, don't we, from the Old Testament and in Christ himself and in the apostles that Christ commissioned to spread his word, we see this great devotion to the public reading of God's word. It's a spiritual event. God is at work here. And that means that we need to take this to heart as well, don't we? We need to take this to heart as well. 
We've been talking a bit, haven't we, about worship being a dialogue between us and God. And last week we talked about offering up our prayers to God. And that sums up, if you like, everything that we do in worship. It's all about prayer to him. But if we think of God to us, then it's summed up in his word, isn't it, as it comes to us. So when we hear God's word read, don't you see this as a time to get out your notebook and your pen ready for the sermon? Or just get out all the extra long peppermints that are going to last you through the sermon? Russell, Russell, Russell. Or to see it as just a mere launch pad for what the minister's going to say. That's the real stuff, what the minister says. No, this is the great event. The word of the living and true God is being read to us. And may we say, Amen, thanks be to the Lord for this word. And do not think somehow because you are not reading it, but you are hearing it, that that is not an act of worship. Hearing is the great act of faith in the Bible, isn't it? Hear, hear, hear. It's all through the scriptures. Lord, The Lord's constantly saying to his people, hear. And so it is a great act to do, to hear. But those of us that are called to read publicly need to take this to heart as well, don't we? It's really been convicting for me to study this this week and thinking of all those times when I didn't pay attention to the word, when I was called to publicly read it. It's got to be clear. It's got to be read with understanding. It's got to be read with clarity. It's got to be read in a way that people can hear it properly too and find it useful. And so often we can slur over this. So often we can just treat it as another thing. But we need to prepare for this reading, those of us who are are reading publicly. We need to prepare for this prayerfully and think about the passage and do it well to God's glory. Now, I don't want to enter too much into the whole question of who should read the word. That can be a controversial question. But from all that I say here today, I'm sometimes a little bit concerned in a lot of our churches today where reading publicly is sort of seen as the easy first step into serving in church. Like you might not be able to do anything else much yet, so we'll just get you to read the Bible publicly. Now, I don't want to enter too much as into who should read the word, but I am concerned by that attitude. Reading the word is not some easy step into leading in public worship. This is a spiritual act and that's the word of God that is being read and we need to pay attention to it and prepare for it and most of all, respond in faith. It's wonderful. I mean, if you're sitting here listening to every syllable that's read out in church, that's wonderful. And if you respond with a loud amen after the word is read, that's wonderful. But none of that is wonderful unless you respond in faith to the Christ of the word, to the Christ who has laid down his life that you may have this word, to the Christ who has bought you as his own people and so is giving you his covenant word to be his people. 
And so I'm calling on you, my brothers and sisters, to respond in faith when you hear God's word read. And may he have all the glory. Well, let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, (coughs) we uh, thank you for Bibles that are open to us and opportunities to gather around them. May we never shortchange the respect and reverence we give to your word as it is being read to us. But may, may we respond in faith and in praise, in repentance and in new obedience as we hear your word read. And may we know it as coming from our living Saviour by his Spirit blessed to us. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.